0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. When it comes to solid parenting advice, you can't go past Maggie Dent. She delivers evidence-based Practical Guidance with a Big Dash of Humour and Humanity, which is why the ABC asked her to host a podcast called Parental as Anything. Now she's distilled some of the most popular episodes from the podcast into a book of the same title. Maggie, welcome once more to Feed, Play, Love.
1: Oh, Siobhan, thank you. Oh, you know, I love coming back to chat to you. Brilliant, because we'll always, always have you. <laughs>
0: um, now, you've been helping parents for many years in, in lots of different guises, but um, for quite a while now, as a parenting educator, you have four grown sons, and your sons now have children.
1: Have you seen the way we parent change during your lifetime? Ah. Oh. No question. No question. And I'm a child of the 50s and 60s. So I saw the worst end of parenting, really, (laughs) which was, um, you know, um, be be as quiet as possible and behave yourself or you'll get a clip around the ear of belting. So essentially, I knew that wasn't a way for me to raise my own sons. Um, But what we've actually worked out, the next thing that took over was skinnerism, which says, you know, punish them when they do something bad that you don't like and reward them when they do what you do like. And so we've now come to the place where we recognise that children actually don't often intentionally make poor choices. So the science of child psychology has changed to give us information that, um, you know, rather than us punishing our children, our job is to discipline them, which means that we give them very clear kind of boundaries. However, um, we work with the children. And that our biggest job is to keep us connected as positive and positively as possible because we know children are most motivated to do what the safest and most loving grown-ups in their lives want them to do. So it's been a massive shift towards what we call now um, more gentle, respectful parenting. You know, sometimes that means that people think you can't growl at your children and that's that's definitely not true.
0: <laughs> what do you think or what do you find parents worry about the most?
1: Well, firstly, when I started the podcast, it definitely was how do I stop all these meltdowns and tantrums <laughs> rather than recognising that they're developmentally quite important um, and reassuring us that uh, this is actually what children need to do to be able to grow the part of their brain architecture to be able to manage big feelings later in life. So that was that's a really big one. But the second one, no question, is how do we raise our children in a digital world where we're all stuck on smartphones and they've got things on their laps and the screens? Um, and the how do we juggle that? Because it's, we're never going to get rid of it. So how do we create it a uh, a family with a digital world that's all around us in a way that's not detrimental to our children's health and wellbeing, and that's our little ones and our and our tweens and teens. Speaking of smartphones, I mean, obviously you've
0: parent, you have parented yourself without the smartphone. What kind of impact has it had on adults, forgetting the children and the worries we have for them?
1: How has it impacted the way we parent? Look, there's, there's positives and negatives, um, Siobhan. And the, the positives is probably the fact that you can order food online and book your appointment <laughs> while you're sitting, you know, waiting for them to get in the car after sport. So it's that transferable access to things that we can do and using it in a useful way. What's not okay is um, there has been a lot of pressure, mainly on mummies um, uh, from InstaWorld and, you know, where everyone has these beautiful, gorgeous pictures of lovely children who are neat and tidy and well-behaved and, you know, yours are looking quite the reverse. And and what it does, today's parents are much harder on themselves and they believe they're doing something wrong when children do things that are developmentally normal and then they go online, because you've got that phone, and i will just find out what the right thing to do is, as though there is one right thing, which there isn't. And you've heard me say this before, that nobody has written a parenting book about your child. Your child's a one-off miracle. So our job is to work out how do I create the environment and the relationships around my child or children that allows them to become that you know, good expression of themselves later, rather than me looking online for somebody. They can be well qualified, uh, but they may disagree, or else follow a mummy blogger who just makes it up as she goes along. So I think it's got too much information that has made parents really confused and hard to find their own core sense of what's right for their children. So I think they doubt themselves a lot more.
0: I've noticed, uh, put my hand up for this, but I am a multitasker from way, way back, even before we had mobile phones. But I find juggling my family life, my work life, my friendships, all of those things, I find that I'm often on my phone trying to communicate with people, stay in touch, that kind of thing. But I have noticed sometimes I think, I sit there and I think, well, my kids don't know that's what I'm doing unless I tell them. But most of the time, you know, my son's trying to tell me about this Beyblade that he's had, which is incredibly boring, Maggie. But it's so (laughs) it's so important to him. Well, the bug I just caught. (laughs) Exactly, it's so important to him. And I'm thinking, oh no, I must tell Mum this, and I must let my friend know that I'm thinking of her. And meanwhile, because I'm able to do that, and it's in my phone, he's standing in front of me, and he's not getting my full attention. And I I feel that that's a very subconscious thing I do without actually. Yeah. understanding the impact of that on my child. And I, and I kind of feel like previous generations wouldn't have had that kind of disruption.
1: You're exactly right. And we call it I call it digital abandonment because every time we're focused on a phone, we're not focused on our children. We're not really present. And it's that being present, um, which is why I write a lot about micro-connections, sometimes even busy parents who had got a million things going on. If every now and then you're actually micro-connecting, can help them feel still loved by you. So the ruffling of their hair as you walk past them, or you know, the winking or the smiling or the just kneeling in front of them and their eyes sometimes telling them you miss them. They're just little doses that go into their heart. Because what your son's trying to do is actually not wanting your ten- your attention. He's wanting your connection, and that's that gift of presence again. And so you're absolutely right because. I mean, I'm not saying there weren't times that I might have been buried in it. No, I didn't get buried in many books at all. I thought I would. Before <laughs> I had children, I thought I'd be laying around reading books, but it didn't happen. Um, no. But can you see, once again, I think that's a, that is the challenge, is that we are distracted, even though mm. it is definitely, you know, what we can catch up with. And I was chatting to a mum the other day about how many WhatsApp groups she needs to be on in order to get her kids to dance, soccer, um, the school app. The, and and so she said, what's on there is sometimes there's all these messages when I just want to go and check what time the game is. yeah, And I get hooked into that. So again, are we weakening the most significant people we need to be connected with because of the smartphone? I mean, when did you last pick up the phone and actually call one of your friends mm. and have words said over the phone and connection? Because I think We often can watch what's happening with our friends online and therefore it means I don't need to actually meet them for a coffee or even give them, you know, a special text of their own. And I'm worried that that means that our relationships for us that keep us healthy, us grown-ups, I'm worried that's, that's not supporting us and therefore we have less in our cup to be able to bring into our homes and families. You talk about the need to protect childhood itself. What do you mean by that? Oh, Siobhan, this is really what I, you know, I guess as I've got older, I'm watching children who have less time to be kids it's almost like the pressure, and I think some of it has come from what I call napalm, <laughs> NAPLAN, <laughs> um, at school where all of a sudden we test them at those levels, but then we compare schools. So a school wants to be seen as a better school, so therefore if I start preparing them for you know numeracy and literacy, therefore they'll be better. And that's not how it is, And that, you know, I, that, that children, in those, especially those first five years of life, You know, they're born with no connectors in their brains, none at all. That's why they, you know, they can't even recognise us technically, whereas a lamb can stand up, Mm -hmm. you know. So what's happening is this incredibly powerful window of an emerging brain that drives everything through the senses and that it takes time. And if you've noticed how long some little ones take to walk from your car to your door, you will see they have no concept of time and they shouldn't. But I kind of have a sense I see children hurried up all the time, way too much overscheduling for their ability to cope because they can have sensory overloads in, in moments where there's a couple of unmet needs and that can be tired or there's a poo that's due or um, my jumper's scratching me on the back of my neck. I'm not, they're not able to articulate the pressure they're under which forces them into what we call a bottom up meltdown. And then we wonder what we've done wrong as a parent. Whereas what happened was it was just too much for the child in that moment. And in one of the chapters, we share Dr. Shankar's model around energy and tension. And he explains it beautifully. And this will make sense to lots of people who suddenly have gone through their lovely bedtime ritual. <laughs> and uh, it's time for bed and there's a child bouncing off, off the ceiling. Well, that that means that the child's energy is too high to be able to go into sleep. So sleep, you need low energy and low tension. So there needs to be another step put into that program to allow that child to come down before they're able to go into that space. And yet so often, um, you know, we we'll want them to manage a shopping centre after school. and They don't have enough energy for that. So of course they have a meltdown, and we just get really cross at them, thinking that they planned that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so little planning in so much of our little ones' lives is they're just trying to cope. So I think that's what I want to say. Well, if we could slow it down, you know, um, and not hurry. Mm. you know, in terms of, and I do say that I've been that mum, you know, that walks so fast in the, <laughs> up the footpath, I pick them up because I don't walk fast enough because their legs are off the ground. Um, <laughs> because I'm in a hurry, right? And it's, I think the world's got busier and faster, um, Siobhan, and I think it's impacting our children as well. So it's one of my key messages everywhere I go is do everything you can to allow those first five years to be as slow as possible, And I know families came to that realisation in 2020, um, mm. realising that, gosh, <laughs> how much better is it now we've slowed down a bit, you know? And I think that's how can we do that and still do the, you know, the things that we need to do as grown-ups? Has anxiety in children increased? Statistically, they say yes. However, I'm just a little mindful that we're much more aware of what it is. And how to look out for it, and I just need to reassure us again: there is healthy and unhealthy anxiety, and I think we get muddled up a little bit. And I also think we need to have more conversations about us as grown-ups that anxiety is normal because we are human. So that's when our um, amygdala, our threat centre, goes: hang on, this is a threat to survival. And interestingly enough, in the you know caveman days, if you didn't respond to the saber tooth tiger or the mammoth or something, you would have been dead. So, we didn't breed from you. So, in actual fact, it is linked to survival. So, it's not all bad. But when we have children who are unable to go to school because their survival instincts have kicked in that it's life threatening, that's when anxiety can become problematic. And look, I know this sounds crazy because, you know, having been a parent, I'm sure I've said this to a couple of my lambs when they're anxious about going to something, possibly like a birthday party or something, um, we often say things like, oh, don't be ridiculous. It'll be fine. There's nothing to worry about. In actual fact, you know, Karen Young, one of my experts, says that's probably one of the worst things to say to them because we're now minimalizing your response through your amygdala to your world right now, mm-hmm. which sort of says it's not real, but it is. Um, and one of those big tips that um, was in that particular chapter is, Avoid avoidance because you say, oh, well, obviously they're not up for that. I might as well take them home because then we're teaching them that anxiety creates avoidance and that avoidance is the only solution to when you feel like this rather than how do we help our children find their bravery and that you might go to the birthday party and they're they're sobbing saying, I can't go in, I don't want to go, and you say, sweetheart, I can see this is tough for you and you're feeling a little anxious right now. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to come in with you and be really close if you need me And we're only going for five minutes. And then if you want to, we will go home. So, you know, it's a little sensitization step. And what you tend to find is, of course, they've stepped in the door. So the irrational thoughts that were feeding that high level of anxiety often dissipate because the evidence isn't there that that party is going to kill me. And so I think that's a, a couple of those golden nuggets that are, that are buried within that particular podcast and that part of the book. Now, I had
0: a realisation the other day, which um, was a bit of an epiphany, not a necessarily happy one, but I realised that even with all the amazing people that I've spoken to, like yourself, all the times I've heard that good enough parenting is what we're aiming for, I actually realise that most of the time I think I'm doing a terrible job of parenting. I'm just wondering if that's something that is common among parents today. The ones that really want to do a good job, yeah. are they just, I mean, I might not be doing a good job and my brain is telling me that I could do better. I'm just wondering what your take is on that.
1: Oh, that is so true. And I hear it all the time, particularly from mummies. So you've got to remember that the female brain is wired a little differently to the male brain, Um, and and I could spend a week explaining how most men would feel in this situation. They do feel terribly disappointed when um, things go wrong because they're actually wired to fix things. So they often feel really frustrated they can't fix things like tantrums and things and take it quite personally. So what we tend to do as females, we do what we call um, we compare and despair on ourselves. So as we go to sleep at night, if you are with a male, they tend to go to sleep in two seconds because they're in the sleep room, and we wonder why they do that. But we're there, and as we're going through every choice we made during the day, and usually from a negative thing. It's that negative bias. So what can I do to be a better mother? And I find that we've become even harder on ourselves, mm-hmm. way harder, because if you wanted to go online, you'll find someone who isn't mucking up in an image, and that gives you a compared despair. So it's really common. And I'm going to say, you know, you've heard me say some of the things I've done wrong, left a kid at the pool, you know, slammed his fingers (laughs) in the car door, forgot book week. I've done it all. Trust me, I've got all those T-shirts. And I have four exceptional sons doing really good things in the work world and are loving daddies, all four are daddies now. And they laugh about my muck-up moments and the things that I did wrong. However, what they did have, and this is what you have, Siobhan, is an absolute deep, unwavering love and connection with your children. And that is the number one thing that our children need. Yes, they need us to be firm at times. They need, you know, every now and then we will have a shouty moment and it won't ruin them for life. But there are times that um, we have to make choices that our children don't like. And that is also really important for them to know there are boundaries and I'm preparing them for life outside of home And that then later we feel bad because we want to be tender and mushy and lovey and soft. And (laughs) this is kind of, yes, of course we do, but parenting isn't a field of daisies, as my friend Dr. Vanessa Lapointe says. You know, there are prickles out there. So I think absolutely I find today's mummies particularly are really hard on themselves when they are doing absolutely a good enough job to raise, you know, awesome kids. And I'm lucky I'm this old now that mine are. I can see the evidence of me mucking up lots. But I do, I really do agree. We're absolutely beating yourselves up too much today as parents.
0: Mm.
1: Well, I think that's a good place to end. I want to end it
0: on there because I'm feeling good now. (laughs) (laughs) Maggie, thank you so much for your time today. My absolute pleasure, as always. That's Maggie Dent, parenting educator and author of Parental as Anything. To grab your copy of the book, check out the links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at See you next time.